So this Lenten season, the seven cries of Jesus from the cross have been front and center for our consideration. And so all of these statements come from that beautiful, brutal, tragic, sacrificial scene when Jesus, the Son of God, was nailed to a tree in humiliation and shame. It's this place where Jesus took on the sin of the world for the sake of forgiveness and redemption. But it's also this place where Jesus continued to reveal truth about the kingdom of God right down to his dying breath. And so while he's on the cross, he says these words that reveal truth in beautiful and profound ways. Words like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The statements, it's beautiful, this, this instinct of God to intercede, to forgive and not condemn. Words like, today you will be with me in paradise. Randy shared about that. The compassion of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. Words like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Honest lament and hope that we talked about last week. So today, we get the next cry. We're getting here toward the middle of these seven. This statement, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Cry number four. So there's there's so much going on here at the cross. So many different facets of Jesus and who he is and what he's doing. Today, I want you to consider from this cry the supreme surrender of Jesus. As Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The supreme surrender of Jesus. So as we look to the cross and we hear Jesus say these words, we get to see how Jesus dies. Both in mode, right, he's nailed to a tree, but also we get to see the mentality of Jesus as he's dying. Here's the thing, though. Jesus died the same way that he lived. And he lived the same way that he died. I'm not trying to sound like Yoda to you. But this is true. There's something helpful in this. The way to die is the way to live. And the way to live is the way to die. And in both cases, for Jesus, in his life and in his death, the way forward was supreme surrender. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus lived a life of surrender to the Father. And the way that Jesus died was the way of surrender to the Father. And Jesus does that on our behalf, and Jesus invites you to live and die in the same way. Supreme surrender to the Father. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Luke 23, I'll put it on the screen. If you have a Bible app, open up and follow along. I want you to listen to this cry of Jesus. Consider what it may mean for you and for me. Here's Luke's account from Luke 23, verse 44. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So Luke gives us this crucifixion scene. He mentions the darkness. It's rare for it to have complete darkness at noon in the sixth hour. He mentions the ninth hour as the veil in the temple gets torn in two. And like that's a whole sermon in and of itself. We could talk about the meaning and the significance of the veil being torn. Right? This veil of separation between the Holy of Holies where the, the high priest could only go in once a year. This massively thick veil torn and ripped. It's as though God is saying through this very act, the separation is over and you can come in through the work of Jesus the Son. It's a beautiful statement. But as the darkness fills the land and as the veil is being torn, as access to the Father is being made in a new and profound way, Jesus nears the end and he speaks yet again. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Author Fleming Rutledge comments that Luke is teaching us how to die and how to live. Because we're getting to learn here about what it looks like to live a life of surrender. So two things I want to highlight for you tonight as we talk about surrender, as we talk about Jesus' committal to the Father. First thing I want to highlight is that Jesus lived and died in conversation with his Father. Like, What does surrender look like? Jesus models a conversational way. I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we talked about the first, the first cry. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them. But Jesus lived his life in constant conversation with his Father. It's, it's the epitome of childlikeness. You get the sense that Jesus and his Father were always talking. This, this father-son relationship was huge. John captures a lot of it in his gospel. I'll just kind of run off a few of these notes from John's gospel. Uh, John 5, 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And so Jesus talks about this idea that he's living in a copycat relationship with the Father. And whatever he sees the Father doing, that's what he does. John 5.30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, I'm in this place of submission to the Father, and the, the pronouncements that I make, the judgments that I make, I'm just saying what I'm hearing from the Father. John 12, 27, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so he's struggling with the hour he is in, but his instinct is like, what should I say then? Should I tell the Father to save me? No, 
I want to glorify the Father, but it's again this conversational aspect to his relationship. Yes, he's walking through life, but his ear is tuned in to the Father. His eyes are looking to his Father. Next one, John 12, 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I point out the patterns in Jesus' life because then it shouldn't come as a surprise to us then that when Jesus is facing the end and he's up on the cross, it shouldn't come as a surprise that with his final breaths, Jesus is conversing with his Father. With his final gasps. He's got his ear to heaven and he's got his eyes to heaven and he's looking to his Father. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This past week, I got to spend some time with a friend of mine from the past, and he's in his early 30s now. He has little kids. He has two young kids, so he's just stepping into parenting now. He's got a newborn that's a few months old and an almost three-year-old. And it was fun for me to talk with him because I've known him since he was 14. So now he's 33, as he said, in his Jesus year, and he's stepping into parenting and he's got a little son who's almost three and a daughter who's just been born. And he's just talking about what it's like to be a dad now. He's come a long way since he was 14, I'll say that. But as he's being a father, he told me with this big smile that his almost three-year-old son, their relationship is changing because he's now coming to him in a three-year-old kind of way to process life. And they're having conversations But their newborn daughter went through some really traumatic, she had a heart condition that she was born with and they had to do some massive surgery and they stayed for a while at a Ronald McDonald house in Portland while the surgeries were happening. So this three-year-old has been processing uh, a lot of hospitalization recently. And so the three-year-old came to my friend, his dad, and he said, Daddy, tell me about sad things. And they started to talk through things. And they st- he's talking with his almost three-year-old, and, they, and he was asking questions about death because they were in a hospital and they heard about things dying. So he said they started talking about plants. Do plants die? And then he says, Daddy, do lammies die? He's like, why am I talking to my three-year-old about this? Because he's got questions. And he's processing life. And I, what I love about even that interaction was... When his son needed to process, even in an immature three-year-old way, his instinct was to go to his father and to ask about it in relationship. And maybe it's just me, but it seems as though as we age, both biologically and spiritually, we tend to not do that less and less. I know that as kids grow up, they begin the phrase, I can do it, I do it instead of asking about it. I think sometimes we do the same thing when it comes to God. We think that growing up means taking on more of ourselves. I do it. And Jesus shows us, shows us that actually in growing up is that we continue the conversation. And we continue to ask questions. And we continue in dialogue. Dialogue. 
you never get to be too grown up to handle it on your own. And so here's Jesus the Son in this moment, about ready to die, and he's in conversation with his Father. When Jesus talks about entering the kingdom as a little child, he wasn't joking. And in life and in death, Jesus continued to be in conversation with his Father. He was enduring physical pain. He was enduring heartache. He was enduring torture, agony, distress, shame. In life and in death, Jesus was in conversation with the Father. And we're invited to as well. But that's not it. Jesus lived and died in conversation with his Father, but then Jesus also lived and died in surrender to his Father. If you were here with me last week, we talked about the prior cry, Jesus' third cry. I made it kind of a big deal about the fact that Jesus was quoting from the Psalms. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just making that up from the top of his head. He's quoting Psalm 22. He's quoting the words of David. And we read through that psalm to understand why that cry meant something in that moment. I think it's important also to notice with this cry, Jesus isn't making this one up from the top of his head either. Again, in Jesus' time of agony and pain nearing death, he draws from the Psalms. He uses Israel's prayer book that had shaped him in deep ways as as a way for him to process and engage what's happening. So this time, as Jesus talks about this idea of committing himself into the Father's hands. He's quoting from Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verse 5. Another psalm of David. In this psalm, David writes, Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And so as Jesus is on the cross, he's conversing with his father, drawing upon the prayers of David, and he is expressing deep, beautiful surrender. Or as Eugene Peterson states it, uncalculating trust. Another way of describing surrender, uncalculating trust. Many scholars note that this psalm was a very favorite psalm by fathers and mothers of Israel to use with their children before they went to bed at night. You would teach a little boy or a little girl to pray this. As you went to bed, you would pray into your hand, I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. It almost became this childlike expression like our modern day one of, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And so Jesus converses with his father and it leads him in his conversation to express uncalculating trust, to express the idea of surrender to the father. Now, surrender is a funny word. I'm using it on purpose, but surrender can have a lot of connotations to it. Sometimes we use the word surrender to talk about losing, as in, The troops lost the battle, and so they surrendered. That's not this use of surrender. 
Jesus is not on the cross because he's losing and expressing his losing. Some people use the word surrender to talk about quitting. Like, um, I don't know, I'm picturing like an arm wrestling match. And you're finally, your arm gives in and you just get your arm slammed down to the table. And so you surrender because you quit because you can't handle it anymore. And that's not what I'm talking about when I say that Jesus surrendered to the Father. It's not because he lost and it's not because he quit. Some people use the word surrender to talk about resignation, like what you do to get out of a bad job. I surrender, I quit, but Jesus isn't quitting on the cross. That's not the idea here. As Jesus quotes Psalm 31 and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, it is the surrender of loving trust. Next slide. A couple quotes from Eugene tonight, but Eugene Peterson says, Jesus was not giving up. Jesus was entering in. This prayer is about committing ourselves to the Father's care in the thick of evil. When we're in the thick of evil, when Jesus was in the thick of evil, he surrendered himself. He, with uncalculating trust, threw himself into the arms of his Father because he chose that as though it were the best place he could possibly be. It's it's the committing of oneself into the hands of another. Is there another quote next to that? Yeah. It's a prayer that comes out of a deep sense of well-being, security, safety, protection, with the hands of blessing touching us and a reassuring voice of affection tucking us in to a dreamless sleep in the company of holy angels. It's not because Jesus is like, I lost, I quit, I give up. No, it's the, the safest, most secure place that I can be. Father is in your hands. And so I'm on the cross and I'm laying down my life for the sins of the world to offer forgiveness to you and me. And I entrust myself in life and in death. It's best for me to be in your hands. Father, that's where I choose to place myself. Well-being, security, safety, protection. It's not because Jesus lost or that he was backed into a corner. This is what Jesus always did. Entrusted himself to the Father. Because he wanted to. Maybe the best analogy that I can think of happened a few years ago on my 20th wedding anniversary to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary, my in-laws sent our entire family to Hawaii for a trip. And the bulk of our time in Maui was just having fun and relaxing. One of the best experiences we had, we, we made a conscious choice. They said, you could either do a luau or something else. And we're like, I've done a luau fun. Let's do something else. So we went ziplining. And ziplining in Hawaii is awesome at least the place that we went, because they take you up the mountain in an off-road vehicle, and they get you to the top, and then you zip line your way down. And with these soaring heights and stunning views of the island, 
you get to see it from a whole different perspective when you're strapped into your harness and the line runs as far as the eye can see. And you have a decision to make. Do I trust this thing to hold me? I brought video. That's me on the right. And that was my decision at that point to trust. That was my position of surrender. I'm not a small man. And I trusted myself fully to the line. And it was an exercise in surrender of entrusting myself to the line. And I believe I had, there, that's a good stop view there. I believe I had the best view possible in that place. I have another picture, too. That's me with my wife. They said, you can hold hands on this one. This is my picture of marriage. <laughs> Deep trust and surrender. And I'm going to hold your hand as we go through this together. This is surrender together. A different way of expressing what Jesus is doing to the Father and trusting himself. Not in panic, not in fear, not in quitting, not in, res not in resignation. But Jesus in life and death says, Father, there's no other place I'd rather be. This is my safe place in your hand. In life, Jesus says in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. In death, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, I realize that preaches well. It is really hard to do. Can I get an amen for that? It's one thing for a person to stand up here behind a pulpit and say, entrust yourself to the Father. And it's another thing when life kicks you sideways. It's one thing when the sun is shining and things are good. It's quite another thing to do when in the storm, in the pain, in the chaos, in the pandemic, in the anxiety, in the swirling world that is our world right now to say, yeah, entrust yourself to the Father. So that's why before I end today, I, I, I want to note what's underneath the surrender of Jesus. Why is Jesus able to say in this like critical moment, like human history hinges on this moment that Jesus entrusts himself to the Father? Like how is Jesus able to do that? And I'm going to kick against the churchy Sunday school answer that says, well, it was Je it's Jesus. He's, he's the Messiah. He's God. Of course he does this. I'm going to kick against that because I think it does a disservice to the incarnation. It does a disservice to Jesus. Jesus doesn't just hit the Messiah easy button on the cross. But he's fully God and fully man. And as we've said already today, reading Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So how does... How does Jesus do this? Why does he cry out from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? It's not because he knew it all already. 
I know how this is going to end. This is easy. No big deal. I think there are a couple key significant pillars for Jesus that undergirded his ability to trust the Father in this. I want to run through three of these, and then we'll end it. Three of these pillars of surrender. Jesus believed the truth that my Father is always at work. John 5.17, there's this conversation Jesus has about the Sabbath. And Jesus says this. He says, my Father is always at work to this very day. Jesus lived in a confident trust that every second of every hour, of every moment, of every day that his Father was at work. Or to use the language of the Psalm, Psalm 121, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He believed that the Father does not have an off day or an off second or off moment that his father was always at work. Always. Even when you don't see it. Even when you don't feel it. Even when it feels like the forces of hell have been unleashed in your world. Jesus lived out of a confidence that his father was always at work. So that even when things were at his worst, like being betrayed, being mocked, being beaten, being nailed to a tree, gasping for his final breaths before he asphyxiates, I can't even say it, asphyxiates, he believes that his father is always at work to this very day, which is one of the reasons why he could say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because even though I don't see how this works out, or I don't see where this fully goes, and, I, and it's at, at its seemingly worst, I believe, Father, you're always at work, even now. Uh, another pillar for Jesus undergirding his statement is the belief, my times are in his hand. Again, the, the, the quote that he grabs from is Psalm 31, verse 5. If you keep reading Psalm 31, you get down to later in the psalm, verse 14, the psalmist says, but I trust in you, O Lord, and I say, you are my God, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine upon your servant, save me in your steadfast love. Not only did Jesus live at a confidence that his father was always at work, even when he could not see it, he also had come to trust that his times were in his hands. This is not fatalism. This is not lazy escapism, but a trust and then confidence that there is one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who is the sovereign one who holds the universe together by the word of his power. There is one who knows where this is going and it will be a victorious end. And therefore, my life and my times in this season, in this moment, and all of my circumstances are in his hands. Or you want to put it this way, God is in control, so I don't have to be. And that only needs to be said to me a few thousand times a day. My times are in your hand. You believe that. There's times that I don't. We prayed for my son earlier tonight because he dislocated his kneecap playing lacrosse on Friday night. 
which meant an ambulance ride and a hospital trip with his kneecap dislocated for three hours in the ER at St. Pete's. And him holding my hand almost the entire three hours. And I had to keep praying this sermon to myself. This time is in your hands, Father. My times are in your hand. Logan's times are in your hand. You're at work. Ann Voskamp says, when God says yes, we grow in awe. When God says wait, we grow in patience. When God says no, he's growing something better. Because I believe that my times are in his hands. And then the third pillar, I think, undergirding this, my father is at work. My times are in his hand. And my father is faithful and good. Going back to Psalm 31, verse 5, the original quote in the original verse, you read the whole psalm, into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Faithful God. This kind of commitment is grounded in the character of God, the faithfulness of God. In his trustworthiness, he's not like Lucy calling Charlie Brown to come take another swing of the football and pull it away at the last minute. That's not the character of God. If you read the scriptures, he is the faithful one. He is a promise-making, promise-keeping God, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And Yahweh, the covenant name for, for God, for Israel, the psalmist says he's faithful. He's faithful. He is the one who delivered his people out of Egypt. He is the God who led them through the wilderness. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the one of the God who is faithful to David and who is faithful to Solomon and was faithful to countless saints, men and women, through the ages, who in their pain and suffering and despair have declared that God is faithful and good. The Father is faithful and good. He's faithful and he's good. And the psalmist says, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And so in life and in death, the invitation for us is to trust and to commit ourselves fully in surrender to him. And that's why Jesus trusted and Jesus was redeemed. He was raised from the dead. The scriptures tell us that. History tells us that. That he was not abandoned. He was not forsaken. And the promise to us is by faith that we will be resurrected to, redeemed to, not because of our own inherent goodness or being deserving, but because of his character, that he is faithful and he is good and your times are in his hand and the Father is always at work. Part of my daily routine is that I take a few minutes each morning to pray a written out prayer that I pray over myself and my family and our church. And I won't read it to you, it's too long to read. (laughs) But there's a couple really, really basic, simple lines that I tripped on this last week as I was praying it. And talking to the Father, there's a part that says, let me go to the next slide, Father, I love you, Father, I worship you, and Father, I trust you. And here's, just being honest, here's where I found myself this week. I was able to say, Father, I love you, without much problem. And I said, Father, I worship you, not much problem. And then I got to this last one and said, Father, I trust you. And I had a hard time saying it. 
because I was a little anxious. I was a little uptight about some things happening this week. And so I could say, I, I love you, God. <laughs> I worship you. I trust you? Question mark. And I was led back to this. The invitation to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And will I choose because of the Father's faithfulness to Jesus to, open, to go Hawaii and open my arms back up not because I've lost or resigned, but because I get the best possible view of life and safety and protection when I resign or when I surrender myself to his hands, to my refuge, to my safety. Into his hands, I commit myself in life and in death. It's my only hope in life and death. belong to him. And so as we end this afternoon, we get a chance to sing and take communion. But I want you to consider your version of that prayer even today. If you were to say, into your hands, Father, I commit my what? What do you need to commit to the Father? this afternoon. And it may be a whole list of things, but just maybe pick one or two. And it may be a person, maybe a relationship, it may be a problem, maybe an attitude. I'll just give us 30 seconds of space to consider what might God be inviting you to surrender to him. Father, into your hands we commit our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.